0: And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Well, we are just one day away from the massive event at Madison Square Garden. I'm of course talking about UFC 268, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Wei Lee and the rematch, Usman versus Covington part two. I'm going to give you my predictions for all of those fight later in the show. But let's first start with this. Conor McGregor made the news. He hit some pads. It was his first boxing workout since the injury. You know what? It was great to see. It was great to see because Conor got just as much attention, just as many views, just as many headlines, and he didn't have to be a little little rich weirdo to do it. He went and did it within the sport that made him famous in the first place, which is like the last thing that Conor's thought to do for attention. Of all the other ideas he's ever had for attention... I don't think he considered doing a workout and putting said workout out to the fans within the sport that he's in, but at any rate, at least we got here. And when you do look at Connor coming back, it's going to be a very different landscape. connor has been out for a meaningful period of time. I mean, this leg injury was a meaningful amount of time ago. This is off the top of my head, three months, closer to four, top of my head. But it was stated by people, including Dr. Abbasi, that it could be as quick as an eight-month Injury to start with. So I mean, is Connor halfway back? If he's halfway back, we need to start looking about what is he gonna come back to. I do not believe the talk of Dustin Poirier is gonna go anywhere. I believe Dustin Poirier is gonna be the champion of the world by then. Connor is not coming back for a world championship fight. If Dustin Poirier isn't, and even if he loses to Oliveira, is that the direction we need to go? That was the one that Connor was pushing very hard. And it would work. Anything you do with Connor, like you don't need a level of matchmaking skill. Just go get Connor. I understand that that's going to big and that's going to work, but it's a very different landscape, guys. You, you've got to learn, and you, you have to always remember what happened to Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey was an excellent fighter, and she had excellent skills, and she prepared very well. Everything She checks all the boxes. Now, eventually, you get down to who's better than who. Ronda did not need to prove to any of us that she was very good. Her matches were about, are you as good as this person? That's what it was about. We knew she was good. And Ronda was meaningful. She was a headliner. She was a media darling. All these things that you would sit and dream and strategize and hope that you could get to someday, Ronda had. Why'd she quit? Well, Ronda became a victim of her own success. It's very important that you understand this, that you didn't miss this. Ronda was so cloaked in success, and her contract helped to reflect on that. And now all of a sudden, her contract can work against her. Chael, how, how? Well, she has to be a main event. Has to be. For where she is on the card, she's got to be able to carry this thing. So whoever she's going to fight in that position has to be a fantastic fighter as well. So now they can do business and feed everybody else at the table. So now she has to fight the absolute top girls. She wasn't, she wasn't good enough to beat them. She could not beat the absolute top girls. But she could beat damn near everybody else. I mean, if you're top five, top six, you're top seven in a sport, you stick around in the sport. That doesn't matter if you're a linebacker, that doesn't mean if you're an offensive guard. It doesn't mean if you're a fist fighter, if you're top seven in the sport, you stick around. You're in a great spot. You got a lot of memories in front of you. You got a lot of competitions in front of you. You got a lot of paychecks in front of you. She was so good and her contract was so beautiful. It locked her into a certain position that she just could not compete at anymore. I bring that to you because Connor, it's going to matter who he fights, very much so. Connor cannot be expected to return better than he left. That would defy every rule of basic logic that a human being has. You don't get better at something by not doing it. You don't get better at something by not practicing it. You get better at something being forced on the sidelines because you have an injury. So if we try to put Conor right back in there in a very meaningful fight against any of the top guys, we're asking too much and we're going to make Conor a victim of his own success. Exactly what happened to Ronda is what Connor's got to have full eyes and be very aware, because Connor is not going to know anything that I just said is true. The fighter is the last one to know. The fighter is the last one by years removed to know. He'll look back after you go. Oh my goodness, wasn't quite. It wasn't quite my same right there as I was over here. It's one of those deals. So Connor's not going to do. He's going to jump in there with anybody. It looks like he's pining for Poirier. To not do Connor Diaz is a tragedy to me. But there is other matches that you could do where all of a sudden you can make up some ground with Conor. I mean, I'll throw a name at you, Paul Felder. Paul Felder is out. Paul Felder is retired. Paul Felder is not training. If Paul Felder came back for Conor McGregor, he would lock down into an eight-week training camp, the same as Conor is going to do. It's going to be even, even, and they're going to go out and they're going to have a match. Not to mention the standup of Paul Felder versus the precision within the speed of the stand-up of Conor McGregor makes it for a very, a very, very compelling, very compelling matchup. And it doesn't really affect the rankings. Nothing's none, none got anything to do with anything. Neither one of them's headed anywhere anyway. All right? In all fairness, neither one of them's going to go fight for belts or even wants to. So you could get those guys together. That makes a lot of sense. What I just said. And trying to package up Dustin Poirier Part 4 and trying to get us all to buy it and act as though this is going to be competitive, it's not. Connor's a very good fighter. He's not as good as Dustin Poirier. That's been proven, and that's been reproven. That's not a debate up for discussion. And how you remedy this and what the workaround to the conflicts that I just brought up are, that's for Connor and his team to sit down. But sometimes that team gets so lost in the numbers themselves. They get lost in the projections for the pay-per-view and the live gate and the merchandisings that they don't think very clearly either. Do you want to just go have one more fight? If you want to just have one more fight, then how about the last fight was the last fight? Right? It's the mistake of every gambler everywhere. One more hand. Every alcoholic. One more drink. Everybody. One more fight. Why? It has to be for something. Sometimes it's just to prove to yourself. I'll tell you who's similar injury is Conor McGregor, but it's Chris Weidman. And I think I know what Weidman's why is. Weidman wants to prove this to himself, that he's a fighter that he can get up, that he can push forward, win or lose. Weidman's next objective is to get out there and show, I get back on the horse when I'm bucked off. I get that. I like that. What is Conor's why? That is what I'm asking you. So that's some of the latest news with Conor McGregor, a lightweight who has done quite a lot in his career. Another guy that hopes to accomplish some of the things that Conor has is a star from last weekend's UFC 267. I'm talking about Islam Makhachev. Islam's making headway, guys. He really is. The one thing with Islam makhachev it sounds like such a condescending statement when I make it, it, which is just simply that people don't know what an Islam is. They just don't know what an Islam Maklachiv is. They don't associate fighter. They don't associate Khabib's protege. They don't associate UFC or mixed martial arts or beautiful record or top six guy. That's going to change. I know that that's going to change. So I don't feel like a jerk when I identify this for you. I am telling you that because it's going to be fun to watch the strategy and the manipulation done by Islam and his team as they get through the media and they make him a known guy. They make him interesting. There's huge things that Islam has. Like if I had to sit around and design a character that I had to bring to television and get over with you guys, I wouldn't have the built-in mechanisms that Islam has. I wouldn't have Khabib vouching for me. I wouldn't have Daniel Cormier vouching for me. I wouldn't have Coach Javier Mendez, who trained Khabib and is in the room with me, saying Islam's better than Khabib and saying it publicly. All the street cred in the world is going to Islam right now. But there is a game, and it's not only the one that Islam has to play, to be interesting and to be relevant, to take all of the pieces that he's being given and to use that to get something. It's also up to his enemies to stop that momentum. And I'm seeing Chandler and Gaethje, who appear to be in a number one contenders fight, This has never been stated as a number one contender's fight. Nobody has ever said that. We, the audience, all believed that could be true, particularly based on the outcome of the actual title fight that we've got scheduled between Charlie Olives and Dustin Poirier. You could have some real interesting parody there. You could also have a rematch if everything goes, that you want to stay away from, which is why I believe this fight has never officially been said to be a number one contender's fight. I think we got to just go to what Dana White defers to, to every single press conference he's ever held, which is, let's see what happens. I think that's why you've got to always, let's see what happens, things change quickly. But to let Islam in to the conversation when he's not even in the country, let alone on the card is a big miss. Justin Gaethje came out today, and Justin Gaethje said, if I don't get a title fight with a victory over Chandler, I'm going to riot because I ain't got a whole lot of time left here. I loved everything Gaethje had to say except for the part that's true. And why guys would bring truth into a story, I will never understand. Justin Gaethje does not have a lot of time left. He's talking about how many fights he can still do. And if he thinks that that is going to help him to get something or gain something on his side, he's of course wrong. Fans are not looking to cling to somebody that isn't going to be here for a while. Pundits are not looking to do stories on something that is just about to fade to black and roll the credits. And the promoter most certainly is not going to get behind a guy that doesn't have a shelf life. I loved everything that Gaethje was saying, except for adding that. And when he talks about, I may not get a title fight, the only thing he's referring to is Islam, who a week ago was not even in the conversation. And now Islam, who is not in the country, is being spoke about in the media mecca of the world, known as New York City. Islam has a game and a strategy that he must play. The other guys must keep him out and keep their narrative going up. Chandler and Gaethje, who should never have to speak, Chandler should be putting over Gaethje, and Gaethje should be building Chandler. We are partners. I either take it all or you take it all. But we together, two-on-one power and numbers, keep this son of a bitch who isn't even in the country out of our mouths, out of the dialogue, and out of the thoughts and minds of the fans, pundits, and promoters. Agree? Agree. Shake hands. Walk off. And it's one of these things where I don't know how anything could be so obvious and how anything could be so clear and that mistake still being made. Because if I am to let the fights and the punches and the kicks speak for themselves, okay. But I have never done that in the history of the sport. There is no such thing as fair. I'm not going to look at Islam's run that he's been on or his big, beautiful record and compare it against yours. I have two former number one contenders, one of them that used to hold the strap, and they're going to go to -to head-to-head at the Garden. That has to mean something, but if you don't want me to make it mean something, and you want to bring in everything else that you're talking about, including the fact that he's here for a long time, and you just said that you're not, should I take you at your word? Should I default back to a ranking system? Should I look at an overall record? Should I listen to what my own commentary team is telling me, or should I let you and your partner, who still have three days left in the media maker of the world, figure this out together and quit being dumbasses? Let's now spend the next couple of minutes on UFC 268 and some of my official predictions, beginning with the lightweight fight that is guaranteed to give you your money's worth. And after that, I'll discuss the strawweights. My official prediction, Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Guys, let me save it till the end. Let me save it till the end because this is one of those fights that popped off the page where I feel like we're staring at the same guy. If I was to read you the resume of Justin Gaethje and then I was to read to you the resume of Michael Chandler. And that doesn't just go back to the regional scene where you've got the World Series, of fighting champion versus the Bellator champion. No, no, no. You can go all the way back to their Division I collegiate days. I have to remind people constantly that Justin Gaethje was an All-American. People forget that he did that in wrestling because he absolutely never wrestles in a fight. Now Chandler, who was also an All-American in the Askren era, in the Tyron Woodley era, they were all teammates. Missouri, a little bit more attention, a little bit more of a powerhouse. People know that he did that. They were only separated by one place. Gaethje was fifth and Chandler was fourth. These guys are very identical and that's back in their collegiate days. Here's the problem. How do you hurt Justin Gaethje? And there's ways to beat him. He is not the fastest 55-pounder, and he does not do the best job of getting out of the way of shots. There's ways to steal rounds and to beat Justin Gaethje. I want to know how you hurt the son of a bitch, because that I have not seen. Even Khabib and Khabib dominated. Khabib opened my eyes on Khabib that night. And I was already a believer. I was already drinking the Kool-Aid. That was a whole nother level. But Khabib did not hurt Justin Gaethje. He dominated him. He got him to certain positions where he overwhelmed him. And I bring that to you because Chandler is much less likely to be able to control those positions. Sure, he might get to it. He might even get to it more than once. But to control and to dominate is very unlikely, which leaves you back in a stand-up battle. I believe the better of the two athletes. Who's quicker? Who's more explosive? Who's more powerful? I believe that all tips towards Chandler. I think Chandler is the better athlete. What the hell good is that athleticism if you don't use it to hurt your opponent in a cage fight? Which brings me back to how do you hurt Justin Gaethje? Now, the other side of the coin, I know Chandler can be hurt. I've seen Chandler hurt. I saw Chandler hurt in his very last fight. Two fights prior to that, I saw Chandler hurt again. I know what can happen. I know where you can hit him, I know how you can hit him, and you're going to get a reaction like a human being out of him. Whereas you get more of a zombie type character out of Gechi. So as you start to break this fight down and you realize, even if you can see that, okay, well this is a wash and the wrestling and then these guys came up on the regional scene and both of their records are very beautiful and they're both title contenders and... They're only separated by one number in the ring. He's like, I got it if we're reading resumes, but we're not reading resumes here. We're making a goddamn prediction in a fist fight. There's more ways for me to see that Michael Chandler can use that athleticism and get into a better position with Justin Gaethje. I just also can't believe that he can dominate and control those positions. So now you're talking about Chandler getting there for an instant versus Gaethje not getting there at all. Is it enough to steal around? That's where my mind goes to. That's where my mind defaults to. Justin Gaethje can hurt Michael Chandler, much more likely than Michael Chandler can hurt Justin Gaethje. However, Chandler can use explosiveness and put Gaethje in positions because Gaethje is so damn stubborn. One of the great things about Justin Gaethje is how absolutely focused he is on what he's going to do. One of the biggest insults to Justin Gaethje is how absolute focused he is on what he's going to do. He does not make adjustments. He is the most damn stubborn, which is why he's all of your favorite fighter. Some of you don't even know that's what you love about Justin Gaethje. You What you love about Justin Gaethje is how stubborn the son of a bitch is. If this turns into a war, favor Gaethje. If this can stay in athletic competition where it is right now, I'm going to make the prediction of Michael Chandler. My official prediction for Rose Namajunas versus Wei Lee. I'm going with Rose. Now, for obvious reasons, guys, how did we get here? Quite simply, how were we at a rematch? Who sold this idea? Who sold this idea to Rose to put it back on the line? I mean, right, historically speaking, there was nothing about that first contest that possibly warrants a rematch. That was not competitive in the least. That was a one-sided pounding with Rose swinging the hammer. There was zero amounts of offense by Wei Lee. There was zero question at the end of the night, who won? How in the hell did we get to a rematch? How in the hell did we get to immediate rematch? Well, for all of the same reasons. When there is something that is so dominant, that it is almost the surprise factor, your jaw hits the floor. What did I just see? That level of domination, you instantly default as the viewer to luck. She caught her. She got lucky. One in a million. It's one of those things. What Rose did was such a highlight reel and was so surprising, particularly at the time. Don't forget, guys, DraftKings had Wei Lee a 3-1 to favorite when the bell went off. So Wei was supposed to go right through Rose. Rose was supposed to be the sacrificial lamb with a wonderful resume and a recognizable face to help build the Wei era. That's what that was supposed to be. So when Rose shut her lights off, particularly with one strike, particularly a kick to the mouth, with Wei Lee who appears, I would guess, I think Wei Li's the stronger fighter, the physically stronger fighter. She most certainly appears that way, yet she couldn't close the distance, she couldn't close the gap, she couldn't get her defenses up, she could not do anything to Rose. I get that it was a quick fight. Is that is that why we're rematching it? It, it was also so quick, Wei Li didn't have time to do any of that. Like, how are we selling that? Not to mention, DraftKings has it at a two to one right now. A two to one right now favoring Rose versus a three to one that used to favor Wei Lee with a belt going to Rose in the one and only contest they did same girls in the same weight class under the same rules in the same octagon. It's wildly disrespectful to Rose, or it's wildly complimentary to Wei Wei Li, however you want to look at this, but this isn't the first time Rose has been in this spot. When Rose became the champion of the world and defeated Joanna, that was by luck. She caught her. Can't happen again. Do a rematch. Bring Rose in there with her pretty belt, her recognizable face. Use her to get Joanna back on top of the bill. And it was a very different fight. It was a much harder, more long, drawn-out fight. But the result was the same, Thug Rose, champion of the world. So Rose has been in this spot. And there's a lot of people that are really Team Rose that think she got dealt off the bottom of the deck here. She did not. If Whaley was the best, and Whaley proved that she was the best, particularly in the absence of Ioana, not to mention Ioana has had that opportunity with Rose two other times, there was no other number one contenders, and we were built in on the human factor, and it's, it's represented at DraftKings right now. They still see it, that this is very close money for a fight that had one strike less than 60 seconds in and crowned a new champion. I mean, in all fairness, that's not the kind of match that you would think in a rematch is going to warrant two-to-one action, but that's where it sits right now. And we can both be right. Rose can be the best fighter of the world, and she could have caught her that night. She could have been lucky. This could be an absolute war. This could be very long and drawn out, which I think it likely is going to be. At least the minutes are going to reflect that way. But you could have the same outcome, which is Rose. Both people can be right. Rose is the true champion. Rose caught her in the first fight. Both statements can be true. It's a very big risk, and I have to wonder where the motivation of Rose lies. Just following the golden rule in life of putting myself in her shoes, how would I want to be treated? I would think if I got away with one where I was a 3-1 to dog and I got out of there in the first minute unscathed and with the championship, I would think that I would like to see that opponent down the line. Let me go have a little bit of fun with my belt here. Let's watch her come through a couple of other contenders. Of course, I'll be in the back keeping my fingers crossed that one of them stumps her, get a little fresh parody. It's not what Rose did. I didn't see Rose gaming this in the media. I don't remember her trying to play any politics here. She was given an opportunity by a young lady, and now is returning the favor to that same young lady. I talked with Henry Cejudo privately, who was training Wei Li, and I said, by the way, Henry, what does that look like? I've seen Wei Lee giving you credit. I've seen the social media and the Instagram, but you're not a coach, are you? He said, Yeah, I am hers. So really, you sit down, you come up with a training schedule, and he said, Yes, I know, I know how to beat Thug Rose. And I'm I'm helping her to implement a combination between the strikes and the grappling. Yes, I am her trainer. And that meant something to me. It was just a, a simple conversation with Henry. But if you're going to listen to anybody about an ass-whipping contest, particularly heavy in the grappling department, Henry Cejudo's the guy to go to. So Waylee's made some adjustments. She's packed up and she's left home. She's sowing some real sacrifice. I know she wants to be in there. But that isn't what I was here to discuss with you guys. What I'm here to discuss with you guys is my prediction, Waylee versus Rose, and still, Thug Rose. So I predicted two of the three big fights, and before I give you my thoughts on who will win between Colby and Usman, let me tell you about today's sponsor. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutrition habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive. Busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us with a deficiency. This is where Athletic Greens has come to the rescue for me. One scoop of this daily all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients including a multivitamin, multi-mineral probiotic greens superfood blend and more they all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet increase energy and focus help with digestion and support a healthy immune system all without the need to take multiple products what a relief athletic greens is my one stop for it all so simple so easy For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health daily simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and join the athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. My official prediction, Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman and new. I believe that the motivation of Kamara Usman cannot possibly be as strong as Colby Covington. What evidence do I have to say that? How would I ever know? How would you know? How could we ever prove that? That would be intrinsic to both guys. Even if they cooperated and play along, it's not like we can hook them up to some kind of a machine and find out, right? I just look at Kamar Usman, who is cloaked in success. This guy's got titles everywhere. He's got the most beautiful record. He's headlining shows. He's cleaned out a vision. He's going to clean it out a second time. Is that enough motivation? How do you stay so strong? How do you stay wanting to do it? We've seen other guys use John Jones, by example, where the pressure got so much, he just walked away. He just said, I quit on top. Take it back. Just don't make me do it right. But that's a real thing. We've seen a number of people do that, where they achieved what it is they set out to achieve, and now they didn't have that motivation. They didn't know what to do. They were lost. I had an amateur wrestler named Les Gutches tell me the day after he won the world championship was the most depressing day of his life. Because every single day, he had purpose and meaning and knew what his goal and drive was. And once he achieved it, he woke up and was, what do I do now? It was just a simple comment. He was 26 years old when he made that comment to me. But I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing at the time. And I'm just using that back on Kamar. I have no evidence that Kamar Usman is not fully motivated. I have a guess that I've decided to put into the bucket... That sure, he wants it. Sure, he's working hard. Sure, he's disciplined. Sure, he's going through the steps. Can he want it as much as Kobe? Like, can he? Is that even possible? Is that a thing where you who have already done it in an attempt to defend can somehow be hungrier than the guy who's never tasted it in the first place? I watched Floyd Mayweather beat guys 42 through 50. With the same opinion that I have now, which I was confused as to what the motivation and drive would be of Floyd Mayweather, but Floyd, he beat to a different drum. He wanted 50-0. and 0. He had a, a very different goal locked on. When he won a world championship, it did not preclude him from keeping these same goals. When he won another world championship, it did not preclude him or detour him from keeping the same goal, which was to get to 50-0. and 0. And as simple as that might sound, if that is what your goal is ahead of time... If that is what is written down and is stated ahead of time, you can go ahead and achieve that. But if you try to switch course midway through, I've seen guys go to tournaments, countless guys go into tournaments, where midway through, they make it to the placing rounds. It looks as though they're on a trajectory to win the championship. They will stop themselves. They'll get to a semifinals and go, well, my goal was to place. I'm now guaranteed a place. My goal was not to be a finals. My goal was not to be a champion. And they will try to switch cores midway through. It doesn't work. Now, I'm guessing here at best. But if I look at the other side of the coin, which is Colby Covington, who has not got to have that moment yet. Who has not got to sit at the head of the throne. Who has not have all those same things written about him. Who has not been on, on a title defense tour yet. I'm guessing he would be hungrier. And when everything is equal, you will default back to who wants it more. That first fight between these two was the closest, dirtiest, hardest fight I've ever seen. They are razor thin. The changes and adjustments made by both athletes are the same, which is they both train in new gyms, new facilities, new coaches, new training partners, new philosophies it's a wash. Everywhere you turn, it's a wash, at least on paper. And I will tell you another thing about a very hard contest, which that first one was. One of them generally doesn't want to do that again. Both of them remember it, but one of them doesn't want to feel that way again. They know how hard it was. They know how grueling it was. They know what they had to dig deep and pull out of themselves to get through that night. And one of them doesn't want to return. Now, that one doesn't automatically become the silver medalist. They just have to change their strategy. They have to change their plan. I am predicting Colby Covington. But I am guessing for you guys that you're going to see a very different match. I think we are going to see a lot more wrestling and a lot more wrestling positions, which, quite frankly, if we get to one piece of wrestling and one wrestling position, it will be more than they had in the first fight. So maybe an easy prediction by me. But look for it. I think that stand-up, kickboxing, street fight-ish brawl that we saw for the better part of 25 minutes, I think that was a thing of the past. I think you're gonna have new fighters, little bit different strategies. Who's got the motivation, who's got the drive? It's a guess. I've made mine, where's yours? So one guy who will certainly have his eyes on tomorrow's main event is the darling of the welterweight division, Hosmet Shumaya. But as popular as he is right now, many of you still don't know his backstory and how he got here. Let Uncle Chale be the one to fill you in. I watched a wrestling video going around. I want to say I found it on like the underground forum, but it was from Chamayev's amateur wrestling days. He's in Sweden, he's wearing the singlet, he's out there, one guy's red, one guy's green, he's wrestling freestyle. So I read a couple of his accomplishments. And Chamaev was born in Dagestan, started wrestling at five years old, according to this article, but he moved to Sweden. He went on and became a two-time Swedish wrestling champion. He, somewhere along the way, did enter the Russian Nationals on a junior level and finished third. Now, that means something. That one, the third place in the Russian Junior Nationals, to put in American terms, that would be high school. Freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors, that's what constitutes the age of junior division. He was the third best in all the land. Now, it's the junior division that goes right into the senior level, which is equal to the uh, Olympic Games, by example. Okay. But he wins a couple of titles for Sweden. I don't know how to put that into or categorize that exactly because it was done in freestyle. Freestyle and Sweden are not necessarily known as great wrestling. Greco-Roman and Swedish wrestlers have a pretty big history. So what do you make of being the two-time Swedish champion? Well, let's do this. Let's watch his tape. So I watch his tape. And it's a lot of double legs, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know? We see plenty of guys in MMA shooting double legs. Why is Chamayo's effective and why are other guys not? And there is a couple of things that Chamaya does differently from an X's and O standpoint. But first off, he does not grab the legs. He does not hold the legs. He locks his hands behind the legs, number one. And number two, he gets his own hips in. And guys that have nice, long arms to just grab a leg is silly. You always want to close that circle, right? Your opponent's in that hoop somewhere. Make that hoop as tight as you can, that's how tight you have your opponent. People understand that concept when it comes to, say, a guillotine. When you lock your hands, your opponent's head is in there somewhere. So you get those hands really tight, you can see where that puts pressure, but the same thing goes if you're trying to control his hips and do a double leg, and it's one thing that I did notice with Enchimaya's amateur wrestling days is he used a lot of double legs. All right. So what? I'm not convinced the greatest form of grappling has yet been created. I'm not sure we're there yet. Foreign athletes have never done as well in mixed martial arts as the American athletes. And the reason for that is stylistically because the country of America has something known as folk style or collegiate wrestling. The reason collegiate wrestling transfers over to MMA much more than Olympic level wrestling and the athletes of american collegiate transfer over more than the international stars has to do with the fact in collegiate wrestling you are rewarded and encouraged to keep your opponent down against his will and you are encouraged and rewarded to get up and get free of your opponent against his will i'm seeing chamayev taking guys down and keeping them there that is very different than say a yoel romero It is also in line with what Islam has been doing so well and what Khabib showed us. Now, Khabib, if you ever listen to an interview, will steer you on the wrong path because he will swear up, down, and sideways that he's doing Sambo and he's doing Judo. He's doing neither. There is zero about Khabib's game that has anything to do with Judo or Sambo, but because that's where he's from and because that's what his relatives and his own father did, he does his best to pay tribute, but he will mislead you. Very mislead you. So as I'm watching Chimayev and I'm wondering how he's being so successful, I still am stuck with Double Egg. Now once he gets on top, he's doing a good job with controls. That's another conversation. If you want to deal with Chimayev based on the limited information that we have of Chamayev, we have four fights, all less than five minutes. We do not have a lot of data or a lot that we can research and delve into as it pertains to the style and the skills of Chimayev. But we do know you have to stop a double leg. And to take a Division I stud like Colby Covington or a collegiate national champion like Kamar Usman and make believe that they can't stop a double leg is a stretch for me. And even if they can't, can they be held down by a non-wrestler? That would be weird. Their whole lives, Kamara Usman and Colby Covington, have been encouraged, trained, and rewarded for standing up once taken down, getting free, turning and facing an opponent. Chamiyev comes from a sport where never once has it been encouraged or rewarded. It would be a big surprise if Chemaya could get him there and then just keep him there. But what do you do with Chamiyev? Because you can't overlook him. I've got to start making comparisons to Chamiyev versus Colby and Chamiyev versus Usman. I have to. Chemayev is extremely likely to be fighting one of those guys next There is a very strong case being made right now That Chemayev should fight the loser I don't know how far that's going to go But I'm hearing this narrative And many people are going to be just fine If you slide Chemayev right into a championship fight And how many other options do you have, by the way? Total studs at 170 pounds, but they're busy They're all booked up Leon's booked up Luque is not booked up, but is trying to get on the docket with Nate Diaz. Who are you going to turn to if you want to do it in a timely fashion? And perhaps that's that's the wrong direction to look, and we're not looking to do this timely. And there's plenty of time for everything to work itself out. Okay, fair enough. But nobody's going to want to fight Chemayev. They don't want to fight them now, unless your name is Neil Magny. You have no sincerity behind your words saying that you will do the fight or that you would like to do the fight or that you're confident that you have the skills to win the fight against Chemayev. Neil Magny, absolute exception. I want to make sure he gets his credit because he's serious. Neil is serious. One way to get a guy in there with Chemayev is to have a guy that's a little bit down on his luck. We see these guys within the UFC or within the sport of MMA that as soon as they get a little bit of momentum going in their direction, they start becoming the shot collars, or at least trying to be. They are always in the opposite position when things aren't going their way. So in many ways, if you were to look to the loser of this fight to be the next opponent for Chemayev, with everybody having a built-in understanding that nothing bad is going to happen from winning that fight, Maybe we won't come out and declare it a number one contenders fight, but we can all declare it will be the people's top contenders match. Maybe that's the direction that you look. I think to do anything ahead of this fight is premature. I think Kobe Covington has a very reasonable chance to beat Kamara Usman. I think that it is extremely reasonable that Kamara Usman then get the chance to get his own belt back, which would mean the trilogy fight which would mean you're pumping the brakes on everything Chimaev. So let's just see what happens. Let's let this play out. I will share with you Chimaev is special. I will share with you that even as I watch his amateur tapes, I'm not clear on how. I'm not clear what about him is different. I acknowledge it's there. But I'm going to need more. I'm going to need a little bit more evidence, a little bit more time to break his film down. I need a little bit more data Something special is happening there, and together we're going to figure out just what that is. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. I'm off to New York City because I'll be covering the fights for ESPN. Check me out on ESPN Plus before and after UFC 268 and then come back next week to hear me break it all down. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the fights. And I'll talk to you Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.